Good morning, Chapel family. I'm still out of breath from worship. I'm getting old, bald, and fat, so it takes me a little bit more to catch my breath a little bit. But welcome to Chapel. Uh, it's great to have you here, especially all of you online. If you could, just give a big round of applause to all our people still online, watching on YouTube, Facebook, and our website. So it is good to have you with us. And if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel, uh, please do that. It helps us kind of get the word out and also share anything we post on there on Facebook. It helps kind of spread the word of what God is doing here at Chapel. Uh, a lot of good things going on. It's an eventful week for the Gorleys. Uh, the twins turned 16 years old. For the, that's a big deal for you. It's a nightmare for us. So we went to Chattanooga, hung out for a couple of days, came back. Ariana got her license on Wednesday and on her way back home, on her first time driving, got pulled over the very first day. <laughs> she didn't have her headlights on. She said, I thought they were automatic, got pulled over, got a great warning from the police officer. Next day, she backed over the trash can, but it happened to be the trash can's fault. So uh, that's kind of the way things go. Uh, it's been going uh, really cool, really eventful week. Uh, God has done some cool things. But it hasn't been as eventful for us as it has been for Officer James Pateo. So he's with us this morning, uh, him and Sarah, great family here at the church. But for Thursday afternoon, he was setting up barricades at Chisholm and Grisham and got struck by lightning. And so it was an incredible story of just him doing all his training, some other police officers kind of coming by to help him get to the hospital. I got to go to the hospital and see Sarah and him and uh, just watch what God is doing. And so we're going to pray for him in a minute. But, you know, not too many people get struck by lightning and then come to church the next day, basically. And so I don't know if you got that Benny Hinn anointing now where you got the electricity flowing through you that I'm going to try to get as close as I can. But um, So he's still got some, some nerve stuff going on in his left leg. If you would just stand up, you and Sarah, so we can pray for you guys. And if you're around them, if you just reach your hands towards them, let's just pray for them. Father, we thank you for the gifts you give the community of godly men and godly women who serve our community through protecting, through loving, through building relationships, uh, through just serving every single person they come in contact with. Thank you for uh, Officer Pateo, Father. We thank you for his heart for people. I thank you for how he invests in so many relationships in this city. And Father, above all, I thank you that in the middle of his fire, you were right there with him, that your hand was upon him. And your hand is still upon him. And remind him every day when he wakes up, your hand is upon him and his family's life. Father, we pray for complete healing of his leg, complete healing of his mind, complete restoration of his body, all for your glory. So continue to advance your kingdom through the marketplace in the shoals. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, James. Give him a hand real quick. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 8 as we conclude kind of our 10 quality series. We went through eight qualities. We have one more quality on being just and generous. We're going to hit in the fall. We're going to kind of unpack that together later on. But today is about being evangelistically bold. Evangelistically bold, meaning trying to get the word of the gospel out to other people that may not know the gospel or have not submitted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you start talking about evangelism, certain things kind of pop in your mind. And so for me, it's the guy who stands on the street corner with a bullhorn telling people to repent or die. Like throw up some of those, those signs that, that you see when, back in Nashville in our hometown next to Zaxby's. There's not even really a sidewalk. No one really walks down the street. But there was these two guys with signs kind of like this. They would literally shake their Bible at cars passing down the road. But in our town, no one walks down the road. So I was thinking, how many cars got saved that day? And you see stuff like this. This is many people's idea of evangelism. This is what the world thinks that we say we're trying to reach the lost. They think it's his mentality of to come and tell everyone how bad they're off. They don't even mention the mercy, the blood, or the power of Jesus Christ. It's all about the person, and the gospel is not about you. The gospel is about Jesus. And until you understand the gospel is about Jesus, you can't do evangelism, right? Because these guys literally think, no pun intended, they are police officers. They are spiritual police officers, and their job is to enforce the law of God on people who have no ability to fulfill the law because they have not been born again in Jesus. And they start taking pride in it that they're doing what God has called them to do. We're being persecuted for the gospel's sake. No, you're not being persecuted for the gospel's sake. You're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Like there's a difference. 
And so police officers enforced the law. I got a good buddy back in Nashville who was a police officer. We're having lunch one day and I asked, I said, what's one of your greatest, like just police stories? And he said, dude, this is probably my favorite one. He starts telling me, he pulled over this truck, pulled over the truck, pulls up, gets out, knocks on the window. The guy rolls the window down, smells like alcohol, gets him out of the truck. The guy stands out. He's got his jeans on. There's a bag of weed literally hanging out of his pocket. Dan asks him, he says, hey, sir, is there anything in the car or on you that I should know about? No, sir. Any weapons? Any weed? No, sir. And Dan's like, I'm literally looking at the weed hanging out of his pocket. He goes one more time, sir, is there anything like in the truck or maybe in your pocket that I should know about? No, sir. Dan says, then what is that bag of weed hanging out of your pocket? The guy looks down, looks up at Dan, looks back down. He said, sir, these are not my pants. <laughs> See, police officers enforce the law. There's a law that's given, and they enforce the law. But as evangelists, God doesn't want us to be police officers that are out trying to enforce the law on other people. He wants us to be firefighters who rescue people from the consequences of their lives. There's a person and a place and maybe an anointing for people to be police officers or enforcers of the law, but God doesn't want you to go out and enforce the law on everybody else. What he wants you to do is be a firefighter who goes into the fire to rescue people out of the fire. See, cops show up on a scene. They're trying to figure out the cause. What got you in this predicament? What did you do wrong? They're trying to figure out and diagnose and investigate the problem with you. That's what these spiritual police officers do. They try to figure out what's wrong with you. They try to point out the flaws. Firefighters show up. They don't care why the fire was started. They don't care what got you in that predicament. They don't ask questions about what happened or what's going on. They don't ask questions about your past. They don't ask questions about where you were. They simply rescue you from the fire. They do not care what got you there. They're just there to get you out of the fire. That is evangelism. That is evangelism. There's a time and place to unpack the bags later on, but evangelism, if you're going to hell in a handbasket, when I sit here talking about all the reasons why you got into the handbasket, I'm wasting time when I could be delivering you from the handbasket. Yeah. And to be honest, we may not use bullhorns anymore, but we sure do use social media. We may not have the guy standing on the corner with a bullhorn, but we just use social media to start telling people what's wrong with them. We start telling people that we don't agree with why they're going to hell and why we're good. Instead of being a firefighter who displays the glory of God or displays the grace of the gospel or displays the mercy of Jesus, if you're doing evangelism right, you should hear more about mercy than you do wrath. Peter even said it this way, 1 Peter chapter 3, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. I mean, you should always be prepared to be able to tell people the reason I have hope in a down economy is Jesus is my provider. The reason I have hope in the middle of a bad diagnosis is because he is my healer. The reason I have hope when it looks like the world is crashing and burning is because this is not my home. I have a home in heaven. You should have a way to defend that, but he adds this on the end. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So he wants you to go and he wants you to reach. But the way you do it is just as important as what you do. So with gentleness and respect. So if you would stand to your feet as we read God's word together. You know, Brian had his little saying. I'm going to change the saying. If you have your paper Bible, which I recommend you have, hold it up. You use your phone. Get your phone out. So what do you just say this after me? This is my Bible. This is God's word to me. It will awaken me. It will empower me to live in love like Jesus. So I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to receive his word. So it will change my life. Amen. Acts chapter 8, starting verse 26. Now this story, 
The Apostle Paul has not been converted yet. This is the chapter before Saul meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. This is Philip. Uh, he's talking to an Ethiopian eunuch. Philip is not an apostle. That's, that's good for you to know. He is just a lay person. He's one of the first deacons that they used to help serve the widows in the church. He's a normal lay believer. He is not an p- apostle, evangelist, prophet, teacher. He's a normal churchgoer. It says, this, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south of the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone guides me? That's our job, to guide people into the gospel. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And a eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news of Jesus. He didn't say, repent or burn. He didn't say the, the, the homosexual slurs that were on the sides. He didn't say, you're going to hell. He didn't say anything. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we are byproducts of your gospel. And Father, none of us are here based off our own accord. All of us are only here because of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ and other people who are willing to share with us the good news of Jesus. Father, we stand here in humility and gratitude, and Father, we just ask that you open up our minds and our hearts and compel us to be evangelists, the reporters of the good news of Jesus to those we come in contact with on a daily basis. Father, help us to be humble. Help us to be awakened to the reality that the gospel only goes forth through the mouths of your people. Father, we bless you. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So Acts chapter 8 is an interesting chapter because literally it starts becoming more about Peter and Paul after this chapter. And so like I said, Philip here, he's not a preacher, teacher, pastor, apostle. He's not a professional, you know, pastor, priesthood type guy. He's a regular lay person. So what's interesting about that is God uses normal, regular people to share the gospel with normal, regular people. There's a place for presenting the gospel through a church, but he may, most of the time uses natural relationships to spread his gospel. The second thing is this eunuch. So a eunuch is somebody who has been emasculated, literally emasculated, so he could be over the king's women slash prostitutes. So the reason he's emasculated, if he's emasculated, the king doesn't have to worry about him cheating with his wives. And so this eunuch is somebody who's effeminate, somebody who has no testosterone in their body, but they're also a leader within the government because the king can trust him because he's not worried about all the affairs and adultery and all of those things. And so this eunuch, what's interesting about it is he's traveling to Jerusalem. He's in a chariot, which is more like a stagecoach. If you've ever played Oregon Trail, it's more like an Oregon Trail stagecoach. And Philip sees him. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says that anybody who's been emasculated or a eunuch cannot worship God. So this person is someone that the world, even the Jewish people, had said was unworthy of God. It's somebody who can't come alongside of us. We don't want them in our community. We don't want them to belong with us. We don't want them to talk to us. We don't want them. They're different. We want to push them off to the side, and they cannot worship Jesus. But for Philip, 
He knew that God had broken the bondage of sin. He knew that God had broken all these barriers of exclusivity and wanted to include people, let them belong in Jesus. So Philip, the first person he shares the gospel with is somebody that everybody else said he's not worthy of the gospel, which means there is nobody who is unworthy of the gospel. Not the guy in the cubicle next to you at work that you hate. Not the person that befriended your children who are teenagers who's the bad influence. Not the person who votes the opposite way of you. Not the person who's had an abortion. Not the person who's practicing homosexuality. Not the person who's transgender. The gospel does not ask questions about your past. It points you towards a new future. And Philip literally shares the gospel with this person who was blackballed by everybody else. And this person, this eunuch, then goes back home and starts the church in Ethiopia. He literally starts the church in Africa where it blooms and blossoms into what we have today. See, God is a God who moves forward, not backwards. And evangelism, to understand what evangelism is, here's a couple quick pointers. Evangelism is presenting Jesus himself, the living Savior and the reigning Lord to others. I Meaning I'm presenting Jesus not myself, not my beliefs, not my doctrine. I'm presenting Jesus, the king and the savior to people who need a new king in their life. People that need a new Lord in their life. The people that need a new way in life. Evangelism is presenting him. It's also God's method of using his people. His people, you, point at yourself, say me. This is God's method of using you to spread the good news of the gospel to those who need it. God's primary way of spreading the gospel is not Billy Graham. It's you. It's the natural relationships that you encounter on a daily basis. Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Meaning my life is either going to be ashamed of the gospel or unashamed of the gospel. If I'm unashamed, I'm sharing the good news. If I'm ashamed, I'll hide it to myself except for on Sunday mornings. Carl F.H. Henry said, the good news is only good if it gets there in time. See, it's not a matter if you're going to share news. We all share news. It's just a matter if we're sharing the good news or subpar news. Because we share good news. We share good news about politics. We share good news about sports. We share good news about our kids. We share good news about our family. We share good news about a promotion. We're always sharing news, but what news are you sharing? Are you sharing the good news or your good news? Let your mouth be a reporter of the good news. Evangelism is the overflow of God's love for us and our love for him and our love for others. Meaning evangelism isn't a program or a strategy. Evangelism is a natural overflow of you realize how much God loves me, how he saved me, how he rescued me, how he delivered me, and how much I love him in return, and then how much I love the people around me. If I love them, I can't help but to share the love God has given me, the love I have for him. I can't help but to share it or let it overflow in the people around me. Because evangelism really comes down to this matter of love. See, we're around people all the time. My question would be, how much do you have to hate somebody to know the truth that will set them free and not tell them? How much do you have to hate somebody to know what the cure for their problems, the cure for their issues, the cure for their life is, and then not tell them? True love realizes they need what I have. I want to give them. Evangelism is a giving mindset. And also evangelism is every believer's, every disciple's responsibility, not the church's. Evangelism is your responsibility as a follower of Jesus, not just the churches. Mark 16, 15, and he said to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Greg Laurie says, Jesus did not say the whole world should go to church, but he did say the whole church should go to the world. One of the reasons evangelism is in decline and the church in America is in steep decline is because we as believers, as disciples, have relegated our evangelism responsibility to churches and made it an event. Where if the church has a special event, that we, we t- we've been bad at this as well. We tell people, do the work of the evangelist, go invite somebody to come to church. 
And what has happened is we've trained people and believers instead of sharing the gospel to making church the new gospel. And the church is the gospel, Jesus is. And the greatest share of the gospel is those who have been transformed by it. And so it is not the church's main responsibility. My job is to teach you, to equip you, to encourage you, and to empower you to go do the work of the ministry or as an evangelist. That is my goal. See, evangelism is actually more about moments than it is events. That's what you see in the scripture. Evangelism is about these moments God brings along our path, these people God brings into our life, rather than these big events. When somebody gets saved at a big event, you know what happens? They need another big event. But if they get saved through a relationship with you, they have exactly what they need to keep on growing and going. And that is the goal. And we see this in Acts chapter 8. So I'm going to break this down just real quick for you. Starting in verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So Philip heard God. Why? Because he was a man of prayer. D.L. Moody said this, We must talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. We must talk to God about people before we talk to people about God. That works in every area of your life. If you're going to talk to your kids about God, you may want to talk to God about your kids first. If you're going to talk to your neighbor about God, you may want to talk to God about your neighbor first. If you're going to talk about somebody, you may want to talk to God about them first. And see, this principle is God starts everything in the spiritual realm. Everything starts in the spiritual realm. And so when I'm a person of prayer and I'm talking to God, I'm praying for lost people. I'm praying for those who are broken. I'm praying for prodigals. I'm praying for those who are unsaved. But I'm praying for them. God will start leading me just like you did, Philip, in directions where those lost people may be. J.I. Packer said evangelism is man's work, but the giving of faith is God's work. So that means my job is to share the gospel, but God is the one who's working on the inside of them. That only happens by prayer. In John 6, he talks about, he said, no man can come to the Father unless he's drawn by me. I mean, if I, I, I need God to work, if I need to see my kids saved, if I need to see my neighbor saved, if I need to see my neighborhood saved, I can't just go do all the work. God has to be involved in the process. I involve God in the process by praying and requesting and asking him to move in the lives of the people I'm trying to share the gospel with. This principle is so powerful and so profound because many times we get so far out in front of God, we're no longer efficient in anything we do. And I stand here, you can say, well, how do you know that? My life is a byproduct of prayer. Like, you don't know my story. My story, I was far, as far away from God as you could be. I was an atheist, agnostic. I was living way out in the world. And Toya was pretty much fed up with me. And she just began to pray and pray and pray. Why? You can't convince somebody who's blind to see. But you can pray that God will remove the scales from the eyes and open up their eyes and give them sight to see that Jesus is real. And so she just gave up on the work side. And she began to pray. Her and my spiritual mom began to pray, pray, pray. On the same night they were praying is when God revealed himself to me supernaturally. And so the prayer principle, it works. So the question would be, who are you praying for? Not a matter if you're praying. You can't be a believer and not pray. But you need to commit to at least once a week that, God, I'm praying for unsaved people. God, I'm praying for that guy in the cubicle next to me that I cannot stand. God, I'm praying for that person I just, I just made a homophobic slur about. I'm praying for them that God will awaken them and they can see the salvation of the Lord. God, I'm praying for those who disagree with me politically. God, I'm praying for those that I encounter on a daily basis. God, I'm praying for prodigals, people that grew up in the church, that turned away at 18 and been in the world. God, I'm praying that you'll draw them back. I want to encourage you to commit yourself to praying for lost people at least once a week, if not daily. Let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that you are a God of the prodigals. You're a God who seeks and saves that which is lost, whether it's a lost coin or the lost sheep or the prodigal son. And Father, right now, we just ask that you begin to awaken us to the need of evangelism. We lift up those who are unsaved and those that are prodigals in our daily lives. Father, we just pray for a move of your spirit to begin to awaken them 
to the supernatural reality of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray those who are addicted, those who are caught up in sin, you begin to make sin taste bitter in their mouths. You begin to draw them back, not to church, but to the gospel and the grace and the love of your son, Jesus. And Father, as you do, we will share your gospel. We will reach out. We will encourage. We will love. We will disciple. But God, stir our hearts for what stirs you. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So he prays. He prays, and as he prays, God leads him in a different direction. In Acts chapter 8, 27 through 29, it says, And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopian, Ethiopians, who was in charge of all the treasures. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And as he was there, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit, of, uh, and the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. So he prayed, but then he went and did what he's supposed to do. See, some people pray, they never go and do. Some people go and do, but they never pray. You have to pray and do something. You have to do something and pray. Philip prayed, and then when God moved him, he moved and was obedient to what God was speaking. But as he was following him, God directed him, not to a crowd, but to a person. So my point here would be this. Don't be a machine gun, be a sniper. See, machine gun, they just shoot wherever. If you know anything about military personnel, a machine gun is designed to suppress, to, to lay down other people so you can move other people into different locations and strategic areas. So a machine gun, they're not on target. They're just spraying everywhere. If you ever played Call of Duty, RJ was trying to play Call of Duty, and he was the worst soldier of all time. He's just shooting everything, and it, friendly fire, everybody's dead. And what happens is machine gunners, they don't target what God wants them to target. They just shoot at everything hoping they hit something. And what happens is when you're a machine gunner, it's kind of like the bullhorn guy, the sign people, or the police officer type evangelist. When you're a machine gun person, there ends up being a lot of friendly fire, a lot of collateral damage. You actually start pushing people away from the gospel instead of drawing them towards the gospel. But see, a sniper is different where a sniper is targeted. A sniper has a specific target in sight. It's specific. It's focused. They're not trying to shoot everybody. There's one particular person who is the target that they've been given by somebody in command. And when they take out that target, there is no collateral damage, but there is success. See, you may not be able to win the whole world to Jesus, but you can reach the person God has assigned to you. God has not called you to win the whole world. He's called you to be faithful to reach those he puts in your path. And God led Philip directly to this person. And what's interesting, he's walking in the direction God sent him to go, and he finds an Ethiopian. He's in the wrong country. He's a eunuch. He's the wrong type of person. And what's he doing? He's reading Isaiah. And not just any scripture in Isaiah, a scripture in Isaiah that's pointing, it's a prophecy of who Jesus is and what he was going to do and how he'd live and how he would die. I don't think that's a coincidence. What I would say is, God is laying things out with a plan and with a purpose to get this eunuch saved and using Philip as part of God's plan. So what I'd say is, let the Holy Spirit lead you to those God is working on. Biblically, we call this a person of peace. Person of peace is simply someone that God has prepared ahead of time to hear the message of the gospel through you. A person of peace is simply someone God is preparing beforehand. It could be a couple of days preparation. It could be years of preparation. God is preparing their hearts, their spirits, their lives to encounter you so you can share the gospel with them so the spirit and the word come together and there's a miracle of salvation. Let God lead you. Do not force the gospel on people that God is not working on. Do not force the gospel on people that God is not working on. But share the gospel with the people God is moving in their lives. Why would I want to work against God when I could work with God? 
Like Philip, I'm sure he encountered many other people on that road, but he doesn't try to force the gospel on the people that aren't ready. God has pointed this one particular person out. He says, when you see him, you'll know. And when he sees him, he shares the gospel. He gets saved, he gets baptized, and he walks him out in discipleship. See, God is moving in people's lives, but you have to pay attention to see it. And I would say there's people, a piece already in your life. At your job, there's people God is working on right now. And he's positioned you at your job for such a time as this. Not to just invite them to church, but to share the gospel with them. Because he's been preparing their hearts, preparing their minds, preparing their lives. They've been going through stuff. They need somebody who can help them make sense of it all. At school, there's people God has placed directly in your path in your classroom, by your locker, on your sports team. These position there is your person of peace. For some of you, it's in your family. And just pray to God, it's not your mother-in-law. God does nothing by accident. But believers, we spend more time trying to find a way to get out of our environment than taking time to realize God has placed us in that environment as a missionary of the kingdom of heaven. Don't ask God to remove you out of the darkness. Take the light into the darkness. And that's what Philip is doing. He's there and he shares the gospel with this person of peace. And so this is the person of peace. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 through 12, Jesus is sending out the disciples. He's sending them out two by two, to share the gospel, to pray for the sick, to cast out demons. He's sending them out. And this is his kind of, his commission statement. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Meaning God's not saying pray for a harvest. He's saying it's it's already there. He said, they're just all sitting on church on Sunday morning and not living it out Monday through Saturday. He says, we don't need more harvest. We need more laborers. The harvest is too much. He said, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, sending you out into the darkness. Carry no money, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace, somebody say son of peace. Person of peace, daughter of peace, people of peace is there. A son of peace is there. Your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go house to house, meaning do not go person to person. Whenever you enter town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter into the town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town. So Jesus the, the, the savior, the rabbi, the teacher. He doesn't say, just go find anybody and everybody and share the gospel. He doesn't say, just go into the streets and get Billy Graham to come help you, set up a big event, get some clowns, get some Disney characters, get, get, get food away, give TVs away, just give stuff away, and then we'll try to get people to say yes to Jesus. He didn't say, go out and be a machine gun. He says, no, no, I want you to go to a house. And if it's a person of peace, your peace will rest upon them. You'll have peace about it. And they'll invite you in. They'll welcome you. They'll serve you. They'll take care of you. They'll be ready for you to share the gospel. This is the command of Jesus. So if he's telling the disciples that, I'm pretty sure he would attend the same for us. So how can you recognize your person of peace? One, they'll welcome you. If they don't welcome you, they're probably not going to listen to you share your story. If they don't welcome you, they probably don't like you enough to even have a conversation with you. Two, they receive you. Meaning they engage with you. Three, they are open to you. They'll have a conversation with you. They're open to hear your heart, your story. Four, they will be open to what you have to say about Jesus. Meaning it's not somebody who's going to debate with you and argue with you or, or tell you your, your whatever the mongering word is they use for Christians now. And they are open to the life you live because of Jesus. And they serve you. See, a person of peace, there's somebody who's ready. God is preparing them for you. It's somebody God is using their life, maybe bad situations and circumstances, and you show up on a new job and they're there. That God has placed you there 
to be able to help them make sense of what's going on in their life. Maybe it's somebody going through a divorce that God has you around so you can help them navigate loss and brokenness and point them to the love that's unconditional in Jesus. See, God is preparing people, and when you recognize them, it changes everything. There could be a passing relationship. It could be a long-term relationship. But you have to realize there's people of peace right now in your life. And God has placed them there for you. So the question would be, who are your people of peace? I believe right now as I'm saying it, who are your people of peace? I believe God is showing you faces, showing you names. I believe when you start going to work this week, you'll start seeing people that are going through things. They need the gospel. People of peace. Who are your people of peace? But you can't just have a person of peace. You have to be able to connect with them. John Maxwell said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, the gospel is a, is a sharing of love between one person and another. And what happens is when I was unsaved, just to be transparent for just a moment, I hated the term soul winner. The reason people, I felt like people that shared the gospel or people that was trying to tell me I'm going to repent and burn and all the good stuff that he used, all the great strategies, that they only wanted me to get saved, not because they love me, because they want another jewel in their crown. And a soul winner, it was a competition for them to build up their ego or to build up their reputation in church rather than actually seeing me set free. Because people do not care how much Bible you know. People do not care how many times you've been to church. People do not care that you got the gold star from Sunday school class in the sixth grade 55 years ago. What they do care about is to know how much you love them. And when they know how much you love them, then they'll start listening to how much you know. But we work backwards. We want to share everybody how much we know, and then maybe we'll care about you later. Acts chapter 8, he builds his relationship with him. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet. He said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And then he invited Philip to come up with him. He invited him in with him. And he starts going through the Bible Together, meaning you have to build a purposeful relationship with lost people to earn the right to share the gospel with them. So you have to earn the right to share the gospel with people now. Even in America, founded on Christian Judeo values, being in the Bible Belt, people still make you earn the right to share the gospel with them. Why do we do all the stuff in West Florence at adopt a block? We're trying to earn the right to show people over years we love you. We want to add value to you. We want to serve you so we can earn the right to tell you about the God who served us. See, you have to earn that right. And when you start building a connection with people, you'll start getting more equity with them to be able to share with them the reason that you hope. In an old book by Stephen Covey, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he gives six ways to make people like you. So if you're single, write this down. It may work. Principle one, become genuinely interested in other people. Why is that so important? Most people are more interested in themselves than they are other people. Well, especially when it comes to lost people, we're usually more interested in getting done what we want to get done rather than being genuinely interested in who they are as a person. And you realize God is genuinely interested in lost people. Like he knows them by name. He knows how he designed them. He knows how he created them. He knows everything that's happened in life. He's genuinely interested in them. We should be as well. Number two is smile. My pastor used to say, he said, are you happy, Bobby? I said, yes. He said, then tell your face. I'm like, what am I? So now when I preach, I'm like, he's, he's always saying, when you preach, smile. So I'm always trying to smile. And I'm like, no, it's Joel Steen. I'm trying not to be Joel. Like it's all, so just smile. Smile. No one wants to hear the gospel through a frown. They want to hear the gospel through joy. And joy goes a long, long way. Principle three, remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Could you imagine being Zacchaeus up in that tree and Jesus walks by of all these thousands of people there in Jericho and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to have lunch with you. That name, he knows my name. Like knowing when you get to know somebody personally and intimately, it gives you a right to begin to invest in them at a different level. Number four is be a good listener. 
You don't have to share the gospel right off the bat. You just listen to their pain. Listen to their story. Listen. I always want to hear, what's your story? I want to hear what you have to say. Then five, talk in terms of the other person's interest. Meaning, what, are, what do you dream about? What's your greatest fear? What's your greatest pain? What's your desire? What's your biggest prayer? Meaning, find common ground. Find common desires. Everybody has desires to be fulfilled, to be happy, to be content, to be saved, to have purpose, to have death. Find their common desires, then find common pain. Your person of peace, I, I personally believe, they're going to have similar pain that you have. If you were abused when you were younger, I believe your person of peace will probably have abuse in their life somewhere. If you're an atheist or agnostic before you were saved, maybe the person of peace that God has assigned to you, they have those same pain points. Maybe it was church hurt for you. The person of peace for you may have church hurt in their past. God will use common pain to bring this commonality, to bring us to a common purpose, to bring us to a common gospel. And you only get there when you start discovering the interest of other people. And principle six, make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. Meaning serve them. Jesus served us. Jesus washed feet of even Judas. We make other people feel valuable as we serve them and love them and encourage them. And it helps us connect so then we can share our story. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. Everybody say, opened his mouth. There's an old, terrible quote that says, share the gospel and if necessary, use words. You cannot share the gospel without words. You can be nice to people without words. The gospel is a message of salvation. It takes words. Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. He started walking him through the gospel. The gospel was not written in the Bible yet. He was telling him his story of encountering Jesus. You have a story. Everyone in this room has a story of who you were, how Jesus encountered you, and who you are now. Every single believer has a story of the gospel. And your story is powerful. Yeah. Why? People can argue the Bible. They can argue, I don't believe the Bible is real. I don't believe it's the word of God. I think organized church is stupid. I think this is dumb. They can debate, what about, the, what about the dinosaurs? What about the flood? They can debate and argue all types of things. But the one thing they cannot argue is your encounter with Jesus. And your story is the greatest good news to people in a world full of bad news. There's no way to get around it. Like, they cannot argue. When I tell them I met Jesus in a basement at my mother and father-in-law's house at 2.30 in the morning by a supernatural vision of God, can't nobody tell me that's not real. They can argue doctrine. They can argue all what they want to. But I met him, I know him, and my life has been dramatically changed. Everyone in this room has a story. Everyone. Ephesians 2 says, you once, you were alienated, you were dark, you were sinful, you were rebellious. But then it says, I think in verse 6, but God. Everybody say, but God. God. I used to be a sinner. I used to be broken. I used to be addicted. I used to be an adulterer. I used to be a homosexual. I used to be afraid. I used to be broken. I used to be abused. I used to be whatever it may be. But God showed up. See, you are not the highlight of the story. You are not the hero in the story. You are the the person. You're the damsel in distress. Jesus showed up. But God, he may have showed up at a church service. He may have showed up at your home. He may have showed up to a friend. But there was a situation and a time Jesus showed up. So when we say that it was, I was. But God, I am. Everyone in this room can share your story with somebody. By telling people, I was. And I was church hurt. I grew up in church. No one treated me right. They disrespected me. They kicked me out of the church. They excommunicated me, whatever the word is now. I ran away for years. But God. But God showed up. He worked me through my process. He showed me it's not about church. It's about him. And through that, now I am set free. Now I'm a disciple. Now I'm a servant. Now now I'm in love with God and his bride. See, everyone has a story. And all you have to do is tell people who you used to be without exaggerating and highlighting your sin. Guys, 
We all know the story topper. Whenever you tell a story, their story always tops yours. Well, I dunked once in high school. Well, I was an NBA dunk con- uh, contest winner. No, you're five foot six and white. Like, we all know those people that highlight and exaggerate the story. You don't have to exaggerate the story. Your sin is not the highlight. Your sin just builds the context so people can contrast who you used to be and who you are now. You have a story. And there's people desperately needing to hear it. They don't need it from the platform. They need it from real mouth because it's real. It's tangible. It's natural. It's thought-provoking. And they cannot argue with it. And the last one, don't just leave them there. Invite them. Invite them to follow Jesus along with you. So I'm going to share my story, just like Philip did. I'm going to share the gospel. The gospel is simply this. God created the world perfectly. Through sin, it's fallen apart. I'm a child of wrath. I'm a child of sin. But Jesus let me be born again through a new father in heaven. And this is who I am now. But then I'm going to invite you to follow along with me. Verse 35, then Philip opened his, or verse 36, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. See, I think one of the things that happens is we may share our story, but we don't invite people to follow Jesus. We don't challenge them to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many times the reason we don't is because we're afraid that if we invite them to follow Jesus, it will hurt our relationship with them. You've invested in the relationship, you've built the relationship, and you think if I challenge them or I invite them to confess their sin, to trust in Jesus, to give their life to him, that maybe they won't be friends with me anymore. So the question would be, Do you love the relationship with that person more than you actually love that person? Because if I love them, I'm not going to leave them hanging off the cliff. I'm going to pull them back off the cliff. See, and it's time that we move evangelism from the platform to the people. Because you all can reach much more people seven days a week than this platform can one day a week. And when you share the gospel, you will automatically disciple them. Just like Philip. Philip then takes him and baptizes him and leads him and guides him. We don't know the time span that happened, but he took advantage. So be bold and be patient with people. Be bold enough to invite them and be patient enough to give them their time. Because we never know where God is at in the process. One sows, one waters, one reaps. One sows, one waters, one reaps. You may be sowing. You may be watering or you may be reaping, but at least invite them into the growth process. And as you do, as you do, invite them to follow Jesus with you because nobody follows Jesus alone. Nobody. This past week, one of the cool things that we had baptisms last Sunday. Dr. Stanley, one of our elders, grabbed me after church and said, hey, there's a guy in my discipleship group that wants to get baptized. He's, he was a non-believer. He got saved at their discipleship group. He said, can I, you leave that up for another day? So Monday, there's a normal lay person, non-staff person, baptizing a normal person in a baptistry. Last Easter, Johnny Flurry, one, one of our champions here, went down on Easter Sunday to McFarland River and baptized three of his co-workers that he'd been sharing the gospel with for years and was discipling. That is the move of God that's going to happen next. We're not in a Billy Graham crusade mode anymore. We're in a you are the crusader mode now. And my dream, my prayer is that you're all baptizing people. You're all leading people to Jesus. You're all discipling people. You are the ministers. And when you get that, it makes your life much more fulfilled. It gives you purpose that's eternal. It gives you hope that's everlasting. And it lets God use your life to fulfill his mission. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. We're going to pray for lost people in a minute. There's a few reasons why we're not the evangelists we're supposed to be. One is we view the gospel as participation in church. And the gospel is not participation in church. That's a byproduct. The gospel is participation with Jesus. 
two, I think one thing that hinders us from being the evangelist God has called us to be is that we don't really see the need for it because we don't have an eternal mindset. And every single person we encounter has a ticket to either heaven or hell. It is an eternal ticket. And Jesus redeems the ticket from hell and gives them a ticket to heaven. And you're the only one that can point them to the person who will redeem the ticket. This is not about church attendance. This is not about making people feel better. This is about eternal destinations. And you have the key to unlock the grips of death, hell, and the grave. The third thing is that we're afraid. We're afraid of what people may think of us. We're afraid if they say no. We're afraid if they say yes. I want to tell you, God has not given you a spirit of fear, especially when it comes to evangelism. If you have a spirit of fear rise up, I promise you that is the enemy trying to prevent you from doing what God has called you to do. The next thing I think that hinders us is we don't know how. And I've just told you four things. Pray. Find your person of peace. Be aware of what God is showing you and doing around you. Three, connect with them. Build a relationship. Show them how much you care. Then four, share your story with them. Show them who you were before. you. Don't be so private that you're afraid to show off the grace of God. Let the grace of God show off in your life. And then invite them into Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that every single one of us are here because somebody shared the gospel with us. Father, right now, I personally think back to the prayer, 24 hours of prayer two years ago and, and Ray Sartain was talking about just being evangelists, the people that sowed and, and reaped in our lives. And I thought all the way back to Bob Schindler. When I was six years old, me and my dad getting baptized on the same day at Little Bitty Baptist Church. And although we didn't serve God from that point forward, there was a seed that was planted thanks to Bob Schindler. I thank you for Alicia Sharpton and Toya who saw that seed somewhere deep beneath the surface and began to water, water with prayer that seed only for you to draw that seed to full bloom in my life. Father, we thank you for those who have shared the gospel that have brought us to this point. But Father, right now, I just pray. I challenge these, your people, to not depend on the church to reach the lost. They begin to have a passion to reach the lost. You begin to stir their hearts with passion and with love for those, Father, that are broken, that are falling apart, those who are needing, those who are struggling with life, those who are struggling with, with spirituality, those who are struggling. Father, you assign them people of peace in their jobs, their works, in their family, at their schools. And then you give them the courage to begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share their story and how you are the hero in the story. And then, Father, let them invite them in to disciple them from here all the way into your kingdom. And Father, it's all for your praise and all for your glory. In Jesus' name.